Live. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I'm Beverly Taylor. In these podcasts, we focus on human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking. It's not just a Milwaukee problem. It's not just a Waukesha problem or a Kenosha problem. It's not just a Wisconsin problem. Sex trafficking is everywhere. These podcasts are designed to bring awareness to this problem of sex trafficking and to promote healing for the victims. Sometimes we don't know about a victim of sex trafficking until they walk up in a hospital in crisis. Today, our topic is a victim in crisis. We have a special guest joining us, Serena Martin. She is the community wellness advocate at Mahogany Cares. She's also with Aurora Sinai, and there she is a sexual assault domestic violence advocate. Now, we have a lot to talk about with her, and she has seen a lot. I want to also invite you, as you're watching uh, or just listening, to send us your comments, your messages, your suggestions. We want you to be a part of this conversation. Serena, thank you for joining us. Thank you for Glad having to me. help you. We have a lot to talk about because we have spoken earlier yeah. about so many things that you deal with, so many things that you see that, of course, we're not aware of. Um, I was talking about when people, victims in crisis, walk up into, say, Aurora Sinai, your job as an advocate, what, did, what do you do? How do you maneuver this for the victim. Absolutely. So as a victim or survivor, you mm-hmm. know, everybody doesn't want to be called a victim or right. even a survivor if they're still haven't really, it's a time in their life. They've never been through anything like this before. They're angry. They're sad. They're pain, just a lot going on. So we just welcome them in. We introduce ourselves and let them know that they have a legal right to an advocate, somebody to be there for them for whatever decisions that they're making. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of options for them as they come in. Not everybody's in the same place at this emotionally or Mm -hmm. ready even to make these big decisions because a lot kind of happens when you um, walk into that hospital, not knowing what's going on. So we just try to help them and guide them through the process. Mm -hmm. We kind of ask them, hey, you know, what are you thinking? Did you want to have police involved? Did you want to report this? Um, As If you're an adult, you do have the right to make that decision. You can say, yes, please, let's, you know, and we'll we'll actually call the police and have them meet us there so that we're with them through that process. It's a lot of questions, and sometimes it can be a long day. Um, So we want to be with them and make sure if they need a break or if they're not understanding something or why would the police or somebody ask me these questions, we want to be there and be just kind of their support system. Does it take them a while to um, say, I've been sexually assaulted? Or exactly what's going on when they're there? Because you, you know there's a crisis because they came. Correct. But are they able to verbalize exactly what it is right away? 
Not always. Um, they do check in with the hospital. So we pretty much know they're there and there's been an assault, mm-hmm. a sexual assault. So they kind of screen that for us and triage a little bit. But we're, yeah, we don't want to go in full force with all these questions and invasion of their privacy and shame, embarrassment, and all those things are kind of running through their head. So we just say, hey, you know, I'm here for you. And then we actually have a private space. So that's utilized where we, away from the hustle and bustle, all that traffic of the emergency room, we have a healing center. So that's kind of a little more welcoming, a little more of what we're trying to do. We want to get you to that point of healing, you know, one step at a time. Today, we're going to try to work on healing your body and those types of things. And then you can be with us as a client for as long as you want. Or if you never want to hear from us again, you know, that's your option, too. You know, when somebody comes in, they've been sexually assaulted. Trauma, 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 trauma. Um, so how do you uh, maneuver that? Because back in the day, we would say, you need to get a rape kit. Oh, yeah. And you were you corrected me. You told me, we don't use that terminology Correct. anymore. It's forensic yeah, even evidence exam, or forensic, okay. Maybe just, you know, forensic For, exam, try to... Not, you know, that those words, are, they're our old school, as we right. talked about yeah. a little bit on the phone. We don't really want to use that. Sometimes we are seeing um, individuals who are a little bit younger, and that just to take that kind of that mm-hmm. word out of it, it'll ease people's minds a little bit. Like, you know, this is a, you're at the hospital, it is going to be more of an exam than like, what is a kit, a rape kit? You know, they may not even identify as being raped, so we don't want to use that type of language. And that um, collection, mm-hmm. that forensic collection, correct. sticks around. You guys keep it for a while. Is that well, correct? What happens is um, when a client, patient decides that they want to have DNA collected, forensics, then if they're going to go with the police and there's going to be an investigation, then that right away that would go to Madison and then they would test that and have those results back. If someone decides or doesn't decide, they're like, I don't know what I want to yeah. do. It's too much today. I just, I don't know yet. You can still get the evidence collected. And then it is held up to nine and a half years. You have 10 years to actually make that decision. So it can it's stored right. safely and confidentially. And they have that information. It's theirs. It's not ours. So they have the rights to it. So if they do want to do something with it in the future, they can definitely they do, can that. do that. They yeah. could do that, yeah. Because I guess in the midst of that crisis, that's yeah. just one of those things that um, maybe you're not ready to make that decision. And we have to remember with sexual assault, 80%, 75 to 80% is someone you know. Mm. So you're making a big decision to press charges and families are involved or significant others. It could be, you know, somebody you know really well, which that's a hard decision to make in the midst. You're overwhelmed. There's so much going on. You're still healing mind, body, and soul and trying to figure all this out. So that may, and then, you know, everybody doesn't want to you know, press charges and get the police involved. That's kind of a long process too, going to court. and Right. Now you you work, I guess, five days a week. Yes. So you are seeing these people come in in crisis. Mm-hmm. What kind of number are we talking? 
Yeah, uh, myself, and we have a total of five advocates. And then there's nurses. I think we have around 15 nurses. Mm -hmm. So on a weekly basis, I mean, we're seeing 10 or so patients a week. So that's, yeah, we're in the 40 to 50 range a month. Oh, wow. Of those, how many would you say may have, uh, it may be a product of sex trafficking? I would say between a quarter and a half really? of those patients, yeah. And may not, again, may not identify as that or even know what that is, you mm-hmm. know. And we have to tread lightly with that. You don't want someone feeling any pressure or judgment or any of those things. We want them to really, when they decide to either make a decision or to get further assistance and resources, we want to be the first ones that they call or come back to or come back to the hospital, whatever it is. We do follow up, you know, once we do see a patient. They're our patient. and. We check up on them if they need other resources. We want to be there for them. And with, like, the human trafficking and sex trafficking, sometimes it is financial, you know. I've done resumes, my co-partners. We've, you know, we help with getting jobs, leads, whatever it is, because it's bigger than just that day. This has been their life. Oh, so you guys provide a lot of resources for them. Absolutely. You go way up, well beyond the medical part. <laughs> we really do. We try to be there as a support. Mm-hmm. And that can't be done in just one visit. Right. As we know, we go to the doctor, you know, we may have different feelings and stuff after we leave. So we follow up as long as they allow us to. We ask for permission because we don't want to be calling somebody, you know, all the time. But they have needs that we can help with, whether it be getting a primary doctor, whether it's, you know, where they live. Maybe they need to move or have different challenges with whatever it is. We really do try to assist. What um, you mentioned, sometimes they don't know that they're sex trafficked. Yeah, Absolutely. So how do you, how's that conversation going? How how do you have that conversation? Yeah, we, you know, we don't want to label it that. Um, We want to make sure that they're safe. Mm -hmm. And in that type of questioning, hey, do you have somewhere that's safe to go when you leave here? You know, where is that? Can we help you get transportation somewhere? Where are you going when you leave here? Sometimes it can raise some red flags. Um, With youth that we're seeing, you know, there's red flags and dating and different ages. People are dating, you know, they're thinking it's love and items are kind of, you know, they like the nice things. And those sometimes you can be easily influenced with items and survival, you know. Yeah. So we just want to kind of have those questions. Okay, you're not, are you working? You know, we want to know where are you you know, how are you supporting yourself? Exactly. All those kinds of questions lead to, okay, and we have our radars on where we're like, okay, this is a red flag. This is a possibility. And we don't have to know for sure yeah. when we leave there, but we have good instincts. In some <laughs> cases, some instances, do they open up and say, yeah, it's happening? Correct. They, they do. absolutely do. They'll tell you, hey, you know, this is what happened. This is where I was. This is what I'm dealing with. This is how I've been living. I'm tired or I'm just don't know what to do, where to go. Can you help me? Wow. So 
Are you able to kind of steer them out of the life or how far does it go? Yeah, Milwaukee has great resources here. There are a lot of agencies who are dedicated to helping those that want to get out of that life. Mm -hmm. Um, Myself, everybody that I work with, you know, we try to connect with the whole community. We don't know, you know, a lot of times people aren't even from here. We've, you know, I've gotten patients from outside of the state. I've gotten patients from out, definitely outside of the city. I work right in downtown Milwaukee, but that's not always where they're from. Right. So, or they're here, but their family is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just getting back home is a relief. They've been on the run or they've been gone from loved ones for so long Maybe we can help get you back home sometimes just hearing mom's voice or, you know, maybe they're thinking mom isn't going to understand. We don't even have those conversations. Hey, can we give your mom a call or who's close to you? Who's your supports? We know that we can't do it all. You gotta, you're gonna leave the hospital, right. but we want to make sure and you have someone. I, I think it's kind of typical for sex traffickers to move. Mm-hmm. You know exactly the people around. Yeah, they're gonna move to where that those situations are going on, wherever those, um, wherever they're told to go, or where they can make money or survive. Okay, sounds good. You know, we're gonna take a break. We want to invite you to please. Uh, Talk to us. Send us your comments, your questions. Um, Let us know what you're thinking about what we're talking about. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about your nonprofit organization, Mahogany Cares. I want to hear all about that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The 411 Live, your link to information. And now, here's your food for thought. Why is he talking to you like that? Private. As parents, we all want to give our kids space. But how often do we consider their phone conversations or their social media accounts? As much as it may annoy them, occasionally monitoring their profiles isn't a bad idea. The world of sex trafficking is a lot more alluring than you may think. Anyone can be vulnerable to the tricks used to exploit millions of girls and boys each year. It's a horrifying experience, and it isn't easy to talk about. Well, I always keep my eyes open. It's never too early to educate your kids on the issue of sex trafficking. For more information, visit the411live.org. Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect. It was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever. They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad, though? He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you? For more information, visit the411live.org. We're back again with Serena Martin, and we are talking on when a victim is in crisis. And she is a community wellness advocate. And, of course, we've talked a lot about your work with Aurora Sinai, and we'll get back to that. But I also want to talk about Mahogany Cares, because you have stepped out and you've formed this Mm -hmm. nonprofit. What do you do? 
Yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of Mahogany Cares. Um, Cares, the acronym, Community Awareness, Resources, Education, and Support. Okay. Our mission is just to advocate and educate the community on the many on the many causes that are affecting so many lives. Um, we have a passion for domestic violence and sexual assault survivors, so we really want to be a support to them afterwards. You know, in the beginning, okay, maybe you're at the shelter, you're surrounded, you right. have everything. Then what? What do you do? You know, your life has totally changed. You've moved. Everything has been turned upside down. We want to be that support for survivors. So as they move on in their healing process, they know that there's someone that they can, you know, count on for whatever resources and things that they need. You know, that brings me back to a conversation that we had earlier, um, a couple of days ago, on the the rotation, because so you get out, now you're on your own, where do you go? And you had mentioned at Sinai, sometimes you have repeat patients. Correct. That may be there caught up in that circle. Exactly. Yeah. We do. We've had patients that have came back more than once. That's one of the red flags as well yeah. when you're talking about the trafficking. You know, they're coming in. They know that this is a safe place. They know that if they've been exposed to STDs, sexually transmitted disease, they can get that medication. They know that when they come in, you know, they can check for any injuries and things like that. So we really, that's what we want to do at Sinai, definitely make sure that they know that, hey, you know, this can happen more right. than once or this is a safe space and, you know, hopefully we can get them some more resources and try to avoid in the future. It sounds like Mahogany Cares complements what you do at Aurora Sinai. Absolutely. Um, we, uh, we just want to educate the community. A lot of survivors, meaning families of someone that's been in domestic violence, mm -hmm. they say to me, well, I kind of thought something was going on or, you know, the black eye or different things. But how, what should I do? What yeah. Should I say anything? Why won't they leave? All those kinds of things. We have a community that wants to help and sometimes they don't know how. So we want to educate families, the community, everybody on, you know, looking for those red flags and being a support right in your home. It's not okay. Our community has a serious problem. Our city is in pain. They're right. hurting. Hurt people hurt people. So we've got to figure out a way for this to stop. And that prevention and awareness is a big piece of that. So when we're talking to, you know, families, they're like, oh, my gosh, I could have done something. Or they did, did call know. me. Yeah, yeah, they called me in the middle of the night, but I was sick of it. Or they called, you know, sometimes. And it's just a lot of patience. There's so much emotional that goes into domestic violence and the sexual assault, the human trafficking, where people, they're not their selves. It's almost brainwashed or they're kind of under a spell in a way that they don't know how to get out. They don't know what to do. Right. And it's dangerous to leave. Right. And it, if that family does not give them the right response, they, they go may back. They go back. Yeah. Exactly. They go back. Exactly. So we want to be there to just kind of educate not only the survivors, but definitely, you know, it's... 
it's not something that you're being punished for. This is something that happens. Hurt people hurt people. Some people think it's okay. They weren't taught any different. Right. They've been around it all their life. Their parents may have gone through it. Their grandparents. This is a tradition almost. So we need to break that cycle. We can start something new. We need to learn how to love, honor, and respect each other in all relationships. Right. I And I guess awareness is key. Yeah. You know? That's a good place to start. A good place to start. That's a, that's a good yeah. way to put it. You know, we were talking about uh, your work at Aurora Sinai and you kind of being that first line for the person in crisis mm -hmm. who they would see and talk to. And I would imagine someone coming in who has been sexually assaulted or been in a really bad sexual uh, encounter, mm -hmm. coming in and being checked out medically, yeah. you know, for that forensic collection or, or whatever, mm -hmm. do you have to talk, you talk to that person, the vic we I say victim for lack of a better word, do you then have to go to the medical personnel and say, okay, this person is going to be real sensitive about this? Yeah, that's correct. When a person comes in, let's just say patient. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, when they come into the hospital, like I said, we go down, we introduce ourselves. So we're maybe the first person that they see that's really going to begin the conversation. Um, they, they get checked in and a room. We want to make sure there's no injuries. They're not in pain or broken bones mm -hmm. or anything like that. Then we go to the healing center. So our healing center, everybody there is well-informed. They've worked with patients. They know exactly what's going on. So I'll say, you know, my nurse will be in here in a moment, and she'll do some explaining about medications and what the exam would look like and your options for that part. And we just want to be careful not to invade their space mm -hmm. or just really be mellow and, you know, low tone, keep things, you know, we're not going to just talk the whole time about sexual assault. You know, I try to have conversations. What do you like to do? What are you doing? Where do you work? Let's talk a little bit, get to know each other. Right. So we're, this is a very invasive time of their life. So we want to be, yeah, we want it to be more of an experience and moving towards the healing. You were talking about lights. Yes. Why is that important? And what do you do with the yeah, lights? Yeah, uh, they're coming in, some of the patients, and it's too bright or it's, you know, they're cold or it's too loud. You know, they really, it's a sensitive time. So I mm -hmm. think all of their senses are on a high alert. Right. So we want to be very sensitive to that as well. So sometimes I'll just dim the lights a little bit, get a nice cold, ice cold water or something to drink, try to relax just a little bit. This is, you know, it's an invasion of their space. They've been violated, their body. Right. So right. we don't want to ever do that again. We don't want anybody feeling victimized even further when they're with us. And if they can't do the exam, they just can't do it. Right. We're not forcing anybody, mm -hmm. but we want to make sure we offer it. But it may not be the time. You can come back again within the limits if we're going to do evidence collection. But the, the main concern is how they feel when they leave there. I want them to feel better than when they came. Right. Are there times when they would say, uh, look, I want the forensic collection done, mm -hmm. but I'm afraid I want you with me? Yeah, we've yeah. done that. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people come in with a friend or relative, somebody, but some don't. 
Mm-hmm. So I can be that person, hold their hand. I've turned on some music, some India Ari, <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. Everybody's yeah. different. Yeah. You were saying that you guys get, you know, 40 to 60 of these patients a week? A month. A month. A, a month. month. Mm-hmm. Any surprises? That, I mean, that number was a surprise. I, I'm Just from working there almost two years, I had no idea this was such a large number here in our city. I'm really glad that people are coming to us, but I had no idea. <laughs> it's a very, I mean, we're busy. Yeah. You know, yeah. people say, you know, why do you do that kind of work? It's not like the funnest job title. Like, what do you do? Like, well, I'm an advocate for sexual assault and domestic violence. How do you do that? And I just tell them, if I wasn't there, these patients, who would they have? We do it for them. Right. Yeah. People need support at a time like that. We were we kind of touched on it earlier because um, you're getting 40 to 60 patients a month. What are the ages? What's the age range? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there. it's a wide range um, from children. We don't see as many children. There is a specialized center, both Children's Hospital and then at Sojourner, they have a special center for kids, but we do see children. I have seen children. I want to say maybe the youngest that I've seen, I think, was three. Three? Yeah. A three-year-old that was sexually assaulted? Correct. Yeah. That and hurts it, your heart. It does. It? Those are I can't, not my favorite patients, even though I love kids, but it, those are so difficult. And there's not a lot you can do because you're not going to be asking them questions and, you know, it's really just kind of, you know, they're there. They kind of maybe get checked over, maybe not. There's a lot that can go into that. You would never want to re-traumatize somebody. And that is one of those situations where there's not a lot you can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to the very young, it's three, Yeah, but I'm sure you have and we have many older. Yeah, our elders, you know, there's been some cases, you know, some patients coming in, I uh, maybe 78 or 80 years old, you know. Sexually assaulted. Correct. Yeah. So how do you maneuver that? Because, you know, as as you get older and there's that, Coming from a different generation, too, and not maybe not willing to be as transparent with all of that information. Yeah, a lot of times. It's a balancing act, isn't it? It really is. You want to get the family involved if you can. You know, that just kind of breaks the ice a little bit. Hey, we're here for you. This is your family member. We just want to do the best that we can for you. This is something terrible that has happened. Yeah. We'll get through it. What would you like to, because we're almost out of time. So what would you like to leave people with, the thought that you would like to leave mm-hmm. them with? I would definitely like to leave everybody with, we just need to get along. There's mm. just so much hurt and pain going on in the city and, and disrespect. We have to learn how to respect people's privacy, people's, you know, bodies, everything. We really need to just learn how to love, you know, and that means your neighbor, that means everybody. We can't continue this. We can't keep 
being blind and pretending it isn't going on. It's happening right here in our city. Yeah. And for those potential patients, those folks who may have experienced this in mm-hmm. recently and are just kind of sheltering in, what would you say to them? Yeah, anybody who's had an experience with sexual assault, feel free to come to the, you know, Sinai, you know, whether it was recently or, you know, sometimes that's just that first step, telling someone, someone that's here to listen, somebody who understands, somebody who's going to be a support. That can be a big step in your healing. Holding it in is just causing more pain. And what do you do with that pain? Right. Either it's hurting yourself eternally or sometimes that's what a lot of this lashing out that's going on. So just get some help if it's not coming to the hospital, counseling or those types of things, really just talking about it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Nobody's to blame. I know there's a lot of blaming going on. We've seen in the news and different things like that. A victim, um, survivor, you are not to blame. We believe you, and we want to make sure that you're safe. What made you want to get into this field? (laughs) I know. Exactly. I didn't grow up saying that. (laughs) When I was a kid, I wanted to be an advocate. But I think just experience, um, being a survivor of domestic violence, definitely. And then just learning about it. I think I'm that type of person. Like, well, how did all this happen? How did I get into that space? And then it's just a responsibility of helping others that that are in need. I can relate in a, in a sense. And I feel like having someone there to get you through it yeah. is it's the biggest piece. You shouldn't feel alone. You're not alone. There are really people out here that want to help. And that's kind of how Mahogany Cares was birthed, just kind of taking it on. It's a responsibility. I had people there for me mm-hmm. at that time. So now you want to be there Absolutely. for other people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if, if someone wants, they, they hear of Mahogany Cares and they mm-hmm. think, okay, yeah, I'm at that place. How do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. We're on Facebook. Um, we have a website, all those Email, we can be in contact any of those ways. Um, we're out here in the community. We do host events. We would love for you to support, um, come out, listen, share. We are really open to just gathering the community in a, as one and just working on ending domestic violence and sexual assault in our community. So people, they come with ideas, creativity. We try to do things different, not just lecture, but really learning about it. But we've been talking with youth. The teens, they are, they're absorbing everything. So we need to pour into them some information and red flags and different things like that and just ask like I've had some people like asking me like, oh, I could have, you could have did it. Just make that call. Just go for it. If you see something that's not right, it's not. Yeah. It's okay to help. We're so, nowadays, we don't want to get involved. We want right. to, you know, we have to get involved. That's right. We've got some changes to make. I want to get back to the teens that you're talking to, but I also want to um, encourage people watching and listening to send us your um your comments, your questions, because we want, again, want you part of this conversation. The teens that you said, you know, you're encountering, mm-hmm. are they giving you 
asking questions or are they telling you about their experiences? What What are you yeah, finding with them? It's all of that. I've raised two daughters, mm-hmm. and one that was one of my biggest fears, you know, yeah. them being trafficked or, you know— it was very scary, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we've had incidents. We were able to talk about them because we knew the information. Right. You know, um, they were solicited people by women and um, girls their age. So you really have to be on alert. We have to talk to these youth. You know, it could come in many a different ways. It's not somebody jumping out the bushes. Most times. I mean, those things do happen, but mostly it's it's a process mm-hmm. of trust and getting to know and expensive things. I had one daughter. She loves all this name brand and all this. So I was a little worried about that. Like somebody may be able to entice. Right. We can't always buy our kids yeah. everything. Yeah, tap so, into that vulnerability. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And those are things to be looking for. Well, why did your son or daughter have $200, $300 pair of jeans that you didn't buy. Where did those come from? You know, yeah. different things like that. And in talking to the teens, absolutely, they had great questions. We talked a lot about social media mm-hmm. and pictures. You know, we can empower ourselves through face pictures, not your body and, you know, different things like that. We don't want to ever put that out on Facebook or because it's the World Wide Web. Once right. it's out there, it's out there. It's it. And I gave them an example. Somebody had used my picture as their profile picture, a male somewhere, and then they were friending all of my daughter's friends. Oh my goodness! So that could have been. Yeah, we had. To, I reported it. You know, we really just little things that you're thinking. Oh, this is just. Fun and games, it's Facebook, but it could really be serious. Dangerous too, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. So the teens, we have to sometimes put it into social media and how we're speaking to them. You know, give them examples of think, real live situations that are happening. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Someone stole your identity, yes. basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they'll do it for the youth or, you know, even having your picture. You don't want that sent all over. You didn't get permission for it. Yeah. And we're taking pictures all the time, yes. telling where we are at all the time, at all times. And people are just yes. having that access. Yeah. That's a little scary too, that we people work, don't think about. Yeah. We work a lot with that with our survivors too. And, you know, as an advocate, people are like, well, what do you do? You're not supposed to know what I do. My patients and clients, they're confidential. Mm-hmm. I'm not exploiting them. I'm not sharing their location pictures. When you're helping somebody, there's no need for that. This is their private life, and it needs to remain that way. I think that's an important part that you just mentioned, in that the healing center and all the stuff Mm -hmm. that you do is confidential. Absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. And they need to know that. Once you come in, we're not sharing any information about you at all. We want you to come in, feel safe, sharing as much or as little as you can, and that will remain confidential. Excellent. Serena, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, all the best on your organization, Mahogany Cares. It sounds like a great project for you. Thank you so much. And you sound perfect for it. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us for the 411 Live Real People, Real Talk. I want to mention that we are a nonprofit organization trying to bring awareness to sex trafficking. 
We need your help, your financial help. If you are so inclined, we invite you to go to our website, the411live.org, and see how you can help us so we can expand our project, what we're doing. And we think this community needs that. And a lot of you agree because we have heard from you. And we thank you for your encouragement. You can go to the411live.org, see how you can help us out in donations. And you can also find out more about this podcast and the previous ones. We are expanding our exposure. We are now on iHeartRadio Podcast. Hmm. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, and IGTV. We're expanding, and that's a good thing. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. See you next time.